0: How much human potential is wasted because of poor leadership? My guest on the Reset Podcast today is Corinne Armour. Corinne is a coach and a motivational speaker, and her job is to make leaders fearless. She uses fear as a data point, not something to run away from, and it's a way to make you think, make you pay attention, and make you look after the people you're leading some great insights in this and you're going to love listening to the thoughts of Corinne Armour. Hello, welcome to the Reset Podcast. My guest today is Corinne Armour. Corinne, is it good being you?
1: Oh wow, what a cool way to start. Yeah, it is absolutely good being me because I am the only person in the world who knows how to do it as well as I do.
0: Yeah, you do do it very, very well too by the way. Oh, thank you. do it very well indeed. And we were just talking about you being out in the country and, and loving life out there with the, all your studios set up and everything. And you know, COVID hasn't stopped you one little bit, it doesn't appear.
1: Well, I think it slowed me down. It certainly meant, made me more reflective. It has meant some confined time with my family, so my husband and my two girls. Um,
0: Have you worked out and, you actually like farm. him?
1: I've worked yeah. out how much I
0: like my wife now. She's great.
1: Yeah. And and how much I like the kids and how much we've actually liked being together. So mm. it's actually been really nice. But um, being in the country, I was reflecting just yesterday morning. Lisa O'Neill put a post on LinkedIn. I think it was Lisa. And it was something like... Um, what it, was it? What are you grateful for? No, what what were you passionate about as a child? That's what it was. Right. And and do you do that now? That was the basic gist of it. She's much more poetic than me. And I I thought what I did and wanted to do as a child is be in the country. I never right. wanted to leave the country, and I hated it whenever we went to Melbourne because it was busy and dirty and there were lights, and I didn't like any of that. And and I just wanted to be in the country. And yet, I moved to the I moved to the city when I was seventeen. And apart from three years in Southeast Asia, I lived in Melbourne ever since. And so, just before Christmas, after more than thirty-five years, I moved back to the country. And, and how has it been? So nice. It is absolutely fabulous. And I think it was just so. Where are you? When you what,
0: what part of Victoria?
1: I'm in Gippsland, so West Gippsland. Okay. So it's only about. No
0: bushfire that, issues at the start of the year. Near no, you? not
1: this year, no. No, that's right, East okay. Gippsland and we're in West Gippsland, so closer right. to Melbourne. And it's okay. very green actually. We've had a really green, a really wet summer. Right. So it's fabulous being me, being the back to the country version of me.
0: Yeah, Just- okay. So how, how does a girl from the country become a leadership expert? How, do, how does this work? Because the stuff you do on leadership, which we're going to get into later on in the podcast, is fantastic. So how, how does that evolve?
1: Oh, it all makes perfect sense when viewed with hindsight, Luke.
0: Yeah, okay. it doesn't everything.
1: <laughs> I I've I've always thought that perhaps I might have my own business of some way, shape, or form, but that always frightened me. I, I grew up on in a family business. My father worked really hard wasn't around a lot when we were kids and I, I was always afraid that that was the paradigm if you had a business then you
0: had, you had to, to work, work your butt hard. off and-
1: yeah yeah so, you often
0: do <laughs> I've yeah. had one and, for a lot and, of years you, you do have to work hard.
1: that's it you do um but I think even with my father now he's I, I don't think if he were part of this conversation he wouldn't say he was retired and he's certainly not but he's semi-retired and he still loves what he does so I think if there's passion in that um then that can sustain the work. But to say, to answer the question, how did that happen? Um, I was in the corporate world for many years and in leadership roles. So I learned a lot about leadership through that time. And I was looking at the different leaders who reported to me. And you know, you'd know, walk into one team area and it'd be really great energy and stuff happened and you know, people seem to be having fun and getting, getting things done. And then you'd look at another team and on paper, you know, good leader, good people under them should be the same sort of capacity and yet just didn't seem to happen. And it really got me starting to think about what's the difference? And that difference, of course, is leadership. So that's one way to answer your question. And it's a truthful way.
0: And yeah. I, I love Other, that too, that you often find you learn as much from the bad ones as you do from the good ones as well, that you can sort of, okay, well, that's a not what to do. And yeah. yeah it, it's often a little bit more obvious from the bad ones than it is from the good ones. Because the good yes. ones, you don't notice the good things quite so much, do you? But we do notice the bad.
1: Yeah, I think that's very true. And I think the other answer to that question of how did I how did I end up where I am now in the leadership space, I spent a couple of years teaching English in a refugee camp in Southeast Asia. And okay. so people think that, you know, if you've got hundreds of thousands of refugees living in a camp around a country, and that was the case with Burma or Myanmar as it's called now, people think, well, that's a political problem. But I actually think it's a leadership problem. And okay. so... That got me thinking about the massive waste of human potential that results from bad leadership. You know, hundreds of thousands Just of Just say that in,
0: again, the massive.
1: Waste of human potential that yeah, results from leadership. Yeah, that's so true, isn't leadership.
0: it? Yeah. yeah. You think of that in a, in a hundred places you've worked, but yeah, wow, okay.
1: That's it. And particularly evident when you've got, you know intergenerations living in a, in refugee camps like that's mm-hmm. just a massive waste of human potential and then and that got me really thinking of, again about leadership and that's where the, the fearless leadership is what i stand for and that's really the genesis of that i know fearlessness isn't in my mind it's not an absence of fear because you know you're never really completely without fear, and if yeah. you are, then that's it's not a good state for leadership. Um, there was a great book
0: from the '80s called "Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway." It was a real, exactly one it. of those yep. first sort of motivational books back in the '80s. I remember reading it and just thinking, "Oh, that was so cool." Yeah, the, so yeah cool. that stuff's everywhere now, but back then it wasn't. It was actually no, that was really a groundbreaking cool book. Yeah, yeah, it was a really cool yeah. book. Yeah, she did it. She did, I can't remember the lady's name. Susan she Scott, a, I think it is. So, yeah.
1: Oh, hang yeah, on. But, Yep. I
0: thought it was a Julie someone, but anyway, anyway um, I've,
1: I have it. I could find it here. Yeah, um, I have except it. I couldn't well. probably couldn't find it because all my books got scrambled <laughs> when I moved offices two weeks ago, <laughs> I haven't but worked that, out that, where they all are yet.
0: It's kind of like that, isn't it? the fearless leadership? Is yeah. you've got to be able to feel it, and but not let that affect your actions.
1: That's exactly it. For me, it's about feeling the fear, knowing it's there, and using it as data. I mean, we've got lots of data. We've got measurements, we've got observations, we've got feelings. You know, fear is is a feeling. And if there's fear there, it's probably there for good reason. So tune into it and leverage that as more useful data. Don't don't tune into it and block it or try and you know, pretend it's not there. It's there for a reason. So use it. So, so feel less.
0: Is is your theory then then when you feel the fear to get curious? Just sort of use it as a data point and work out, well, what's this telling me? What aren't I? I yeah. I really struggle with a lot of uh, particularly young people these days that that refer to their anxiety as if it's like a pet that, you know, I have anxiety. It's this thing that I have sitting on my shoulder. And it's it really frustrates me that anxiety is in most cases, except for the full on clinical ones, it's just something you feel. It's like fear, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I actually had a, a, a conversation. I hadn't thought about that as being a generational thing. I had a conversation with my eleven year old about that a couple of days ago. She was anxious about the return to school. It must spend two weeks ago. So she was anxious about the return to school because my kids have just gone back. Well, they've just gone back to school. Now they're on holidays again. But two weeks ago, they were just going back to school and she was mm-hmm. quite anxious for that first week. And and I said to her, Do you think that you know that I don't ever have anxiety you know I don't feel anxious about sometimes when clients there's a big challenge then I feel anxious about you know am I up for this am I going to be able to help them Um, and I said to her during the the, during the um at the start of COVID-19 I was anxious about us and our health and I had had a level of anxiety about that I wasn't going to be able to work through this and and what would that do so all of these things they they happen and it's you know, how we relate to them that matters, not the fact that they're there or not there. But I hadn't thought about, I, I like your idea of, or n- of not like it <laughs> as being a pet. Yeah. I think that's a conversation it's, I can have with them.
0: They, they almost have this way of talking about anxiety is that it's, it's one of their character traits. Oh, yes, yes, I'm anxious. Well, anxious yeah. is something you feel, all yeah. right? And you know, being happy doesn't necessarily make you a happy person. It means you're happy at that moment. And it's anxiety, I, I guess, is the same. And I guess fear and anxiety, you know, fear, anxiety, and excitement are all really close together when you think of the physio- physiology of it, aren't they? And um, absolutely. So, how do you then pull that into fearless leadership? How do you then teach people to to be fearless in their leadership?
1: Uh, for me, it's about um, it's about your purpose you know, overarching, what is your purpose? So if I'm talking to leaders, it's what's your personal purpose? What's the purpose of the team that you're leading or that Mm -hmm. you're part of? And then what's the organisational purpose? And we want those three to be in alignment. And when they are, then that's a really powerful stabiliser in any time of fear or uncertainty. I've got a
0: direction to go to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And t- at at times, it's almost not a direction. I know why I need to move. I'm not sure yet what the direction is, but I know why movement is important to me and what the end outcome is. Mm-hmm. And that'll help me yep. try and work out in you know, what direction I go in. Yeah.
0: So, but th- that's part of that curiosity too. Is that you've got to start, and then once you get going, you you do the little tests and work out. Well, did that work? No, let's turn this way, and we'll we'll try that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Do you, do you think part of the fear with a lot of leaders is that they don't, they fear looking bad and making a mistake? Do you think we've, oh, we haven't definitely. got enough fault tolerance with our leaders? We don't, and how, how do we overcome that?
1: I think it's important to know what we stand for, which comes back to purpose. And there's more than that. I mean, there's values and there's you know, our sense of identity. But if we just stay with purpose for the moment. So, so what's, what's my purpose? And, um, and as you say, that curiosity, where leaders get really stuck is where they feel like they have to have all the answers. And they don't. Now, I think perhaps once upon a time, leaders had a lot of answers, but the environments that we work in are so complex, so interwoven, so fast paced, nobody has all the answers. So what you need is to be able to have the questions to be able to help the team, whoever's in the team, but help the team come to the answers. So I think if we stop feeling like we have to have the answers, then there's less concern for how we look
0: one of your lines that i highlighted in your book was to to ask more and tell less and that that pretty much you know in four words that pretty much personifies that doesn't it it's just that's exactly what a good leader will do
1: absolutely
0: uh, and when people think about the good leaders that they've had in their time they were they were kind of they're often the last ones to talk um Whereas, you know, a lot of leaders think, okay, well, I've got to hit here and drive the meeting, and then you get that sort of hippo problem where the highest paid person is the only opinion that really matters, and everyone just falls into line. So, I, I guess, is the stuff that you teach how to, how to avoid that sort of scenario.
1: Yes, and how to avoid being that leader. So, I, I was I had a session this morning with an ex, um, an executive team that I'm working with, and one of the executives at the last minute. Had to miss a session that we had, and so this was a catch up, just one on one that was scheduled for. I think it was scheduled for early mid February, no, mid March. Whenever coronavirus hit, right, it was scheduled for ago. Yeah, and um, and then of course was was delayed. Uh, So we had this conversation this morning. Now this guy is an executive, has been an is in the role that he's in now for. 6 months or so has been in previous executive roles so has a lot of executive experience a very deep belief in people and a strong mm-hmm. sense of compassion and
0: all great traits for a leader
1: all all great traits for a leader and also quite confident in in the concepts of coaching the concepts of asking questions and is very good at asking questions mm-hmm a particular type of question, so it turns out, because as we were t- exploring some scenarios this morning, all the questions that he was coming up with, like how he would handle them, they were all closed questions.
0: Okay.
1: And so what he realised is that whilst he, he is comfortable with questions, his questions were closed questions, which means they weren't likely to be feeling like they were really inviting exploration. They yeah, were okay. really inviting opinion. And that was quite a shock for him. And so we, we workshopped a couple of situations and how he could ask questions that were actually much more open questions that wouldn't necessarily lead to the conclusion that he might have had in mind could lead us to a much more effective um, conclusion and would be much more collaborative in the conversations.
0: Yeah. Okay. It, that it makes a lot of sense. It's one, one of the things you talk about as well. I'd love you to expand on this a bit, is that you know, how to get people to listen. And I guess a little bit of that comes back to the questions that you ask. If you're asking them a closed question, you know, if you're, you're not really listening to them. So I guess they're not going to listen to you.
1: Exactly. Why, like why, should, why should I listen to you when you're constantly giving me advice that probably doesn't take into account my context my skill level, and what I've already tried. Yeah. Even if we know each other well, you don't know what I've been working on for the last 24 hours. I might have just tried those three great suggestions that you fired off.
0: Mm-hmm. Because yeah.
1: completely different things happen in the brain when we ask and when we tell. So when people, leaders say to me, my people don't listen, my first response was, is always in my head, okay, there's probably a very good reason for that. <laughs> so
0: yeah, okay. let's
1: just talk a little bit about what are some of the approaches that you're trying and um, what are some of the causes that you think people aren't listening.
0: Right. And do, they, do well, they often work it out or is it something that you have to kind of bang them over the head with a bit of wood to, to get them to? Uh,
1: I'm a little more subtle than that.
0: <laughs> I don't think you are, but that's Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: one what, what of the, the things that helps people because it's always much better and the whole idea of asking questions is to lead people or invite people to their own insight rather than to to be telling them because if you tell someone it's not an insight and yeah. and often what you need to do is replay the scenario they've just given you asking them to imagine that they were the person on the receiving end of it rather than the end than the giving end of it Mm-hmm. And often that's the, that's the aha moment they need of, okay, right. That wasn't really collaborative. I wasn't yeah. really asking.
0: I told them what to do and.
1: I told them what to do. Yeah. So yeah. Luke, have you tried ABC yet? Like grammatically, mm-hmm. that's a question. Cause there's a little question mark at the yeah. end, but actually it's an embedded command. Yes. Go do it now. Come back and tell me when you're done.
0: So, do you think a lot of that leadership does just come, come down to, you know, almost like intent and then your intent in what you say? Is
1: It's intent, intent in what you say and the awareness and the skill of how you're showing up.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: Because if we go, if we go back to my conversation this morning, the leader that I was working with this morning had good intent. Mm-hmm he didn't have the awareness that he wasn't really asking true questions. Now he has that awareness. He'll go away and work on it. With him, I didn't need to do anything else. He just needed to have that awareness that he wasn't, the questions that he was asking weren't really true questions. He's good to go now. He doesn't need it. Someone else might need a lot more work
0: yeah I I was looking at some some of your work and I love I love the stuff that you do in this leadership space and one of the things you talked about and there was irony to it is that you can't outsource leadership development yet people outsource leadership development to you (laughs) Um, which I thought was quite ironic but what
1: what that read, read you can't outsource leadership development to anyone else but me
0: yeah okay okay but I I thought about that and there's a I, I love evolutionary biology. I love the I love the way caveman did certain stuff, so we do certain stuff. And it's it's so true in so many parts of us. And I have this theory that you can't learn from them, you can only learn from us. Mm-hmm. Does that yes. make sense? And I th- I think that really does fit in with what you're talking about, about you know, not being able to outsource leadership development. My question then, other than getting you in, because obviously you're the you're awesome at this but then how do how do leaders that don't have those skills how do they do it without outsourcing outsourcing to hr or outsourcing to someone yeah. outside so how do you get them to sort of get that aha moment on how to yeah. do their leadership development
1: we need to give people the skills to be able to develop themselves and recognize and develop that in other people so there is a bit of tongue in cheek with the can't you can't outsource leadership development you can't outsource that end to end. So if if you're reporting to me, Luke, and there are some gaps that you have, I can't send you to HR to fix it, or I can't send you to the Australian Institute of Management, or we've got a bigger, bigger budget. So I'll send you to INSEAD or Harvard
0: mm-hmm.
1: and palm off my responsibility. So let's yeah. say I send you off to INSEAD. When you come back, I need to work with you. Like, what have you gained from that, Luke? What were some of the biggest aha moments for you? What support do you need from me? How together can we ensure that you're really leveraging that opportunity that you've just had? And what are the types of ideas that you've got for helping your, the leaders who report to you gain from the experience that you've just had? So, yeah.
0: All of those questions you're not answering with one or two questions.
1: Exactly. You can outsource parts of the leadership development, but the responsibility for that sits with the senior leaders. And one of the most important things that responsibilities that we have as leaders is developing leadership in others. And that's not always in people with leadership or manager in their titles either. We want Mm -hmm. leadership right through the organisation regardless of people's job description or organisational in a level in the hierarchy.
0: Yeah. How do you... How do you get people to, to get better at that difficult conversation? Because, you know, there's, there's often difficult conversations in leadership things and they j- often just get put aside and they just become put in the too hard basket and whatever the bad behaviour is just continues forever. Yeah. And is, is there any tips that you give the people who you coach and when you're speaking that that sort of teach people how to have those difficult conversations in a way that's effective?
1: Such a multi-layered question.
0: Isn't it? Oh, Sorry.
1: So like how long, how long do we have? Yeah. Um, I, I, one of the things that you're good at is, is reframing ideas or resetting the way people are seeing something. So just the fact that we're calling it a difficult conversation. And if I, if I know that when I'm with Luke, that might really help his development as a leader or, you know, as a speaker or as an optometrist or as a human, that's a different framing right to to start so how we think about these conversations is really important i'm
0: interested it's a bit more outward focus isn't it because when you're doing that it's like i'm going to have this conversation to help that person rather than to get rid of the pain points that i've got
1: exactly and i've actually been thinking about the last couple of days that july is going to be courage month and so i think i'm going to been thinking about talking more on courage during July, thinking more on courage during July. And I was thinking this morning about the importance of courage in an executive team. So most of my work is with, uh, with executive teams and senior leadership teams developing fearless leadership. So this is about um, ensuring that we have one team that's aligned and fearless, that's able to leverage all of the expertise and the collective wisdom of the team. And we can't do that when we can't have the tough conversations. So courage is important here because when we push, um, conflict has its most power when it's pushed underground. Yeah, okay. So when we're able to surface that conflict and to address it, it loses its power to bring us down And it increases its power to support us to grow. So I think about having these conversations that are important conversations and having them in the way that builds the relationship rather than bruises it. Yeah. And we have to be willing. It takes courage. Like it takes courage because I don't know when I have this conversation with you, whether you're going to agree with me or disagree with me, whether you're going to burst into tears, whether you're going to get angry, whether you're going to accuse me of bullying, whether you're going to walk out whether you're just going to nod your head, say absolutely nothing, you know, not engage with me, maybe that's the worst outcome. I don't know how this is going to, I don't even know how I'm going to cope in this conversation. So it takes courage just to contemplate having the conversation.
0: I often do a thing I, I refer to as the chat and the chat is, do you want someone that's just going to tell you everything's okay all right, and confirm everything you want to do? Or do you want someone that's going to tell you a hard truth, but it's always going to come from a place of love? Yeah. And I think that it sounds really touchy feely and let's go play in, the, play in the daffodils, but there's something really good about having a tough conversation when it comes from a place of love. I guess it's not quite as difficult then. And
1: or it, it, may be, it may be difficult, but is that, is that such a bad thing?
0: Very much so. There's a resetting a way you look at it for sure, yeah. isn't it?
1: Let's, let's have a conversation that's going to help us both to get to new insights because one of the biggest risks of having a conversation like this and one of the biggest risks of actually listening, like not transactional listening but really deep listening, is that you might learn something that might cause you to change your mind. Yeah. And for many of us that's a risk because we've invested a lot in our
0: opinions. Isn't that, I always love that though. Like here's one idea that I've had for ages. Here's another idea that's better. Oh, cool. I've just upgraded my ideas. But I, I think that might be a rare way of thinking.
1: I think that might be.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's a nice one Particularly to sort of when we be stay, open we take, to if you can.
1: Yes. And when, when we have leaders who are taking strong positions on ideas um, or strong, strong positions on decisions, then it can be hard to let them go. Or refine yeah.
0: them. I love, I love that line of, um, you know, strong opinions held lightly. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a lovely way to put it. That I, I have very strong opinions about something, but I'm more than happy to to listen to to another another one that comes my way. Mm-hmm. So when you're when you're speaking and t- and coaching and some of that, what what's if you had to give one little chestnut of what people could could come away from it. You know sessions with with Karin, what would you, what would you like them to come away with how would you like to change the people that you live with There's
1: so many ways to answer that one Isn't of the, there? The, the currency that I think is most critical to us as leaders is energy
0: mm-hmm
1: And we can can influence if we have energy, we can create ideas if we have energy, we can lead a movement if we have energy. So I think the key currency for us as leaders is energy. So if there were one thing that perhaps is the overarching concept of everything that I do, I wish the leaders who work with me to be just as energized or even more energized on a Friday night, after a week of work than they were at the start because what they've done during the week gives them energy, who they've worked with, who they've been, how they've related, you know, the the ideas, the achievements, all of that during the week has given them energy rather than depleted them because so many leaders, so many people at MySpace's leadership get to Friday night thinking, thank goodness, can I have a yeah. drink, please? I've now got two days to recover for Monday. Yeah, that, that's not a way to live, and, and that, I don't want people that I work with to feel like that.
0: One of the things that one of the things I, I talk about a lot is that that stress flows downhill. You now, the fastest way to get your stress hormones to come down is to actually pick on someone lower down the food chain. Like a Robert Sapolsky from from Stanford University did the research on this with baboons, and they got their 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 cortisol levels to come down really quickly if they picked on someone lower down the food chain. And you're talking about that with energy and leaders. I'm wondering whether that has the same effect. The more energy they create, the more energy the people with them create as well. And you know that's obviously going to make a much better business, isn't
1: it? Absolutely. I think we we are our emotions are contagious our energetic state is contagious and there's lots of science behind that so if i am if i am engaged energized and energizing then the people around me are going to be much more inclined to be that way
0: yeah absolutely karenama it's been fantastic having you having on having you on the reset podcast it's been great if anyone wants to get hold of Karin, i'll have her website on our on the show notes but uh We all need some fearless leadership and I'm glad you're bringing it into the world. Thanks for coming on the Reset Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Luke. Go fearlessly.